Breakfast puppies? This podcast contains adult language and content and is meant for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to The Glitter Boys. Welcome back. So we're taking a look at the very, very, very earliest work that Palladium and Kevin Ciambietta ever put forth. This week, we'll be talking about that lovely blue Xerox cover, The Mechanoids. The Mechanoid Invasion Trilogy. Yeah, the, the Mechanoids were what Clerks was to Kevin Smith. It was his, uh, his passion project put together with everything Kevin could scrape together or beg, borrow, or steal. THX 1138? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... One thing I really like about it is that it offers in the Collected Trilogy a bit of history, like five pages of very, very, very early experiences where Kevin came from, the the origins of his his entire interest and forays into the the role-playing universe. And it's it's just a fascinating look into what made Palladium Palladium. And uh, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend getting it just for that reason, if for nothing else. So if you are following along at home, we both are looking at the collected mechanoid invasion with, as Matthew mentioned, the blue cover. It's got all three of the original mechanoids books in it, which we unfortunately have not been able to track down in decent enough condition. Yeah. And by that, I mean the original three. (laughs) The the invasion (laughs) trilogy, you can get at your local gaming store. Chances are if they carry palladium, they either have it or you can get it. I mean, the the original ones came out in um, 1981, yep. the, the original Mechanoid Invasion. This is something that, with, with the help of friends and gaming groups pushing them on and borrowing from various friends in the industry who also had similar interests, where Kevin kind of got his feel, or at least this is how I saw it, of having his hand in all the different parts of of the project. He laid it out. He wrote it. He illustrated six eighths of it. Let's talk about that art. This is Kevin Sambita art that harkens back to his experience as a comic artist. And it shows this is fantastic stuff. I wish he would do more in the books today because I love this style of art. I, I love the the dot shading that mm-hmm. he does in a lot of it. Oh, it's amazing. It, it reminds me of that late 60s, early 70s, slightly bigger than paperback with a few illustrations in sci-fi art. It's, it's really good, which, you know, isn't surprising because that's probably what he grew up on. A lot of it reminds me of a comic series that I was kind of obsessed with for a while called Alien Legion. It's Mm -hmm. got a very similar style to that. In fact, like these books have full page panel by panel comics in them. Yeah. That I'm just looking at it and thinking, man, I need to go back and reread Alien Legion because this has just given me the the Nick fit for it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) There is, uh, God, what page is it on? 14? This beautiful, beautiful print of what I assume is Kevin drawing himself. Uh, where he kind of is in space holding uh, a, a sphere on a string, and he's wearing a fedora and awful glasses, and he has a mustache and a turtleneck, and he kind of looks like a 70s pimp. 
<laughs> I think it's amazing. He probably put this together in the late 70s, early 80s. I imagine a few years yeah. were spent doing this, and he was in his 20s at the time. Yeah. Yeah. This Young is 20s, a, too. Yeah. This is a mustachioed 20s Kevin Sabina. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. If you're just exploring Palladium for the first time, this this probably won't be of huge interest to you. But if you're a if you're a long term fan like we are, and you you haven't gone through this book, what you need to do right now is press pause and then go to the Palladium website, order the book, pay the extra shipping, and hit unpause when it gets there because this is an amazing book, and you should follow along with us. Did we want to do this in our Rifter review style, or do we want to just talk about the system? I think we should do that. I like it where we kind of go th- book by book through it and look yeah. at what we're seeing. But first, I did interrupt you a minute ago. You were talking about the history of it. I just got sidetracked by the art. Oh, so what happened was Kevin got tired of D&D. Damn right. And I imagine he did He did that really <laughs> early. You know something about that, yeah. <laughs> and so he he put together... A new system, which would eventually be the uh, Palladium role-playing system. Now, it is, it is amazing how much of this appears in the most modern, you know, the, the, the most recent release in the exact same form. <laughs> the, 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 the stats are all the same. There's never a Thaco drop-off. It doesn't have MDC, but it does have SDC. There's a note in this edition that they went back and added SDC for the characters. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is closer to first edition Palladium Fantasy than anything else. Yeah. He he talks about a lot of stuff. He tried to get it published with TSR, Judges Guild. He turned down an offer from Judges Guild, which was really smart of him. It was something like... Embarrassingly low. Yeah, $500 cash and 2% royalty, which would go down to 1%. Insultingly low. Yeah, especially, I mean, because something like this doesn't happen overnight. This isn't something you're going to turn out in half a year. You know, this is a few years while working your regular job and hanging out with friends. This this was a passion project, and I would have been insulted by that, too. He talks about how he worked for, uh, did some freelance work for FASA, which you might know through from Battletech. And Shadowrun. SJG. And he talks about how important his gaming group was in encouraging him to go on. He talks about how a friend's mom gave him a loan to get that that first publishing done. Thanks, Francis. Yeah, right? <laughs> he talks rather interestingly about the format, which is rather common now, but was unheard of at the time, where it was these square-bound softcover instead of hardcover books. And it was quite simply so he could offer them inexpensively and, and print more of them, which it's always a good idea. So this is basically the same rule set that he was playing at the time, but made sci-fi. And there are some amazing similarities to uh, Robotech in, in, inside of it. A lot of the stuff, and I, I don't think it's derivative. I don't think he copied. This was just the style of the time. You know, you had, you know, the, the brain, you, you had modular things. Refresh my memory, Matthew. When did Robotech happen? Not the game, the show. Oh, God, I want to say 83 in America, yeah. 80, 84, somewhere in there, early 80s. I mean, this is it's the Palladium Systems, you know, the little chrysalis that would later form mm. what we know as the Megaversal System. But you're yeah. right. I didn't think about it until you just said it. There's a lot of Robotech here, and I'm thinking 
you know, looking back in the past through my crystal right. ball of imagination, I think that when Robotech came out, Kevin was like, dude, dude, this is just like the mechanoids. Yeah. I can just change my game and make it this. Because a lot of the art was reused and it fits because yeah. I was looking back through this and it's like, wait, wait, wait. I remember seeing that in another book. But but really, they're not all that different, like thematically. He actually goes into some uh, detail. Uh, he said uh, the success of the Mechanoids put Palladium on the map. And then his next big hits were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Robotech. Oh, yeah. Really, which were really what boosted Palladium up to the forefront. You, you had your two of the biggest properties back then. If he had managed to nail down G.I. Joe, Transformers, and He-Man, he would have, <laughs> you know, he'd be living next to Bill Gates right now. But going back to the Robotech thing, Mechanoids mm-hmm. thematically has a lot in common with it. You have a planet of humans that have encountered some kind of a strange precursor alien technology, similar yep. to how it is set up in Robotech, that is now being attacked by an undefeatable alien enemy. With, and this is an important aside, very large ships. Yes. Yeah. And strange power sources. So, yeah, yeah, it's there's a lot of similarities here. If you are a Palladium fan of the Robotech games and you have not checked out the Mechanoids, I implore you, find a copy of the Invasion Trilogy, give it a read, and just glow. Yeah. It's kind of weird because it's very inspiring to read through this. You, you, can, you can see a, a, a passionate gamer making his first very, very well done foray into the system. I've seen a lot of guys, check out my new gaming system book, photocopied, you know, drive through RPG. This even by today's standards, this is an amazing, an amazing first work. Looking at this through the lens of 1981, 1982, this is fantastic. Yeah. One person put this together with the help of some of his friends, which I must note, if you look at that credits listing, yeah. you'll see some names that are still on the books today. So right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that too. For your first foray into design, into like publishing, this is solid. Yeah. You also hear uh, a complete role-playing book game <laughs> in one book for the first time on this. Oh, Kevin, (laughs) please stop. (laughs) We should probably skip from the history unless you had any other points and start talking about the actual, uh, the mechanoids themselves. You're talking about missiles, right? Oh, wait, no, that's another episode. Hold on, on. my my book closed. (laughs) There we go. All right. (laughs) Mechanoids. So one of the things I wanted to bring up was this is, and this, God, back to the history. This was uh, a problem he had in selling it is this is very much a last guardians of the gate humanity, which had settled Gideon, whatever number, I think it was three is in terrible, terrible straits here. They were colonists on this earth-like planet and uh, they coexisted there with another race, a a race of humanoid, basically like raider hunter gatherer thief types, nomadics. Your, your classic situation of in sci-fi where you have, Two alien or two two races. One is human, and the other one is the weird, slender, hairless psionic race. And that's what yeah. you have here. Except they're kind of modeled on the uh, indigenous peoples of North America, but then given like this weird crow-like 
fascination with stealing everything. It's 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 a weird sub race. I don't want to immediately condemn Kevin here simply because a lot of people like to do that. I don't want to be that guy. Oh yeah. But I will say that I'm actually going to turn that statement around. I'm going to give him props here because I reading this book again for the first time in about 15 years from the perspective of a modern woke individual. I did initially want to compare some of this race's traits and afflictions and characterizations to current racial stereotypes that we have. And my my first, my brain was like, these are probably just someone else stereotyping the Roma. Funnily enough, it's not. I did not pick up on any Earth stereotypes here. So, Kevin, props. Good job there. Yeah. There's also a th- third race which has disappeared but will reappear just before the end the 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 precursor race which built a a series of underground tunnels uh throughout the planet now they they're not they're not active in the first book they don't matter but (laughs) what what does happen the mechanoids appear over this over this colony world now the mechanoids have this ship this giant ship which is about the size of north america and what they do is they find a place with stuff, uh, with a nickel iron core, which helps them with their power systems. They, they generate something called crystals or protoculture or something. <laughs> they exterminate all life uh, because they are themselves a, uh, a created race that was made from uh, alien humanoids, and thus they hate humanoids. It's the classic story of, you know, some humanoid race made... Robotic minions, those minions gain sentience, they overthrew their masters, and now they hate all life. Yeah. And then they literally carve up planets, smelt them down for usable stuff, and move on to the next place. They, they destroy whole star systems. They, they, they grind them up, take the usable stuff out, and move on. And it just fuels their war machine. Now, the mechanoids are called mechanoids because they are power armor wearers and... Uh, semi-sentient robots they're all controlled by master brains and uh, a leadership case i assume they torture for fun (laughs) they (laughs) like to do things like uh vivisect humans to find out how they scream and what pitches they scream do they scream melodically i mean they're they're you're not going to do the oh i have sympathy with that villain ploy nope pure evil and humanity is hanging on by a thread now they are this is an advanced humanity that is a starfaring a starfaring race but they are not up to the same standards as as the invaders the mechanoids. While you can play uh the natives of, of Gideon. I, I imagine most don't. Gideon E that's what it was it wasn't a uh, a number. Anyway, so uh the mechanoids show up start carving out the outer worlds um and the moonlets nearby. And they go, oh shit, something really bad is coming. And they send a uh, distress signal to like the Federation, the, 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 the Earth Coalition. That takes six months. They're, they're pretty far out. So they got no help. So what you have here is a six-month six window of desperate fighting, improvisation. The, you get this feeling of the last guardians at the gate. Like it's, it's very halo reach. If you've ever played that you, you will be overwhelmed in the end. What matters is how you sell your life in, in this game. And I, I really like that it could, because it, it, it lends itself to moments of high drama for the players. 
So we have a good foundation for a story. We've got everything ready to go to poise some kind of desperate survivors of humanity against the unstoppable machine foe. Right here in the first book, right? Now let's take it back to that statement, a complete role-playing game. And I want to tell you, well, why the Mechanoid's first book is in fact a complete role-playing game, more so than Rift's Chaos Earth. (laughs) I was about to say, sorry, Chaos Earth. (laughs) All right, here's some things that we got here that's going to make this complete. Well, okay. You're sitting down in your group. You're thinking, man, all right, cool. Uh, I, I don't want to game about robots attacking people. Uh, what are we going to do this? Well, I need a place to do it. All right, cool. Gotcha, fam. Two-page spread with a zoomed-in local map, multiple zoomed-out planetary maps, regional maps, and hot spots of activity. Got it. Cool. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, uh, I just I need, a, I need a story here. Well, all right. We've already said we got a story. Good to go. Jump on in. But I need some more details on this story. Like, what's the timeline here? Well, as oh. it just so happens, the page right after those maps <laughs> has the timeline. It's a breakdown. So if you're thinking, I want to involve players in a thing, but you know, like have the world happening around them. So I generally know what the author's expecting to happen next. He's got you covered. Yeah. You need player characters. We got those. We got them in spades. There's some really cool classes in here. You need things to fight. Well, what do you know? There's all kinds of stats on enemies here. Not only is there a bestiary of the mechanoids, there's also a bestiary of weird local flora and fauna and multiple example characters from this local alien tribe. What about equipment? You're reading my mind, man. We need some gear. (laughs) Guess what? We got a lengthy fucking gear section. And it's just all kind of weird ass stuff, including like... What may at first lead you to believe is a bionic arm, if you have read Heroes Unlimited, is not actually a bionic arm. It's just like a sleeve that you wear. This game has everything you need. What about if you needed like uh, internal maps of like enemy fortifications? Would, Would it have that? Well, I'm not seeing... Sorry, I had to flip back through the pages here. I don't see specific things about enemy maps, but there's an adventure location. The Tunnels of the Ancients, complete with maps. Not only maps of the location themselves, but also maps of how they relate to each other. Maps of how they might interact in the greater world. Key locations connected to each other in a pinpoint map across a freaking globe. Yep. Come on, Chaos Earth. What's your problem? (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to let this go. (laughs) There's also some flavor in here, which... Reminds me of playtesting sessions where the GM just goes, the fuck do you think you're doing? <laughs> the uh, a PE slash M8 multiple plasma injector. It goes in through the basic stats, like all weapons in the Palladium system. But it has some some interesting... Oh, excuse me. I'm talking about the, the fusion torch. It has some interesting caveats listed, such as... The fusion torch begins to overload if continually in use or it expends great amounts of energy in a relatively short time. So I see this in my mind's eye as it goes on with five more pages, uh, five more paragraphs of description of what happens if you use this thing too much. Somebody decided to overload this thing in a game. Somebody had to deal with an Abel McVenner and they said, we are never letting our our players deal with this. We're going to put down exactly what this thing can and can't do and how much damage it has when the thing inevitably explodes. And I, I just, I, I love that because it's it's a look into the group that made it 
and what they were thinking and what they were doing. And they were they were being very inventive. Not just that. Look at the art, specifically the art of like weapons, gear and mm-hmm. the mechanoids themselves. There's so much detail put into what each item drawn in the picture does, complete with little little arrows pointing out each individual thing. Like this is the retractable head, but this is the the this is the optical section and this is the full range of sensory equipment. Here, we have a scan diagram of the various stages of connection and like mm-hmm. detachment that this walking fortress does. It's beautiful. Palladium has always been very good about that. My first experience with that was Robotech, where they went into all the cockpits and the different like heads-up displays and uh, cockpit configurations. But like that not bionic bionic arm you were talking about earlier, the, the superhero <laughs> yeah. bionic arm, I didn't need to know that it had adapter plugs for manual command digital keypad, but it's there and I know exactly where it is. Yeah, <laughs> It's on the bicep. I mean, what is a dosimeter? Do you know? I don't know, but it's there. Something else that I really like about this single book, not only does it have the villains, it shows their five-year plan. You know, it, it shows their intentions. It goes into detail about what powers their technology, why they're doing what they're doing, how they communicate, things that you as a GM want to know about these alien races because some fucking player at the table is going to be like, well, I'm going to hack their radio. And you're like, tell you what, man, I got you covered. There's a system for it right here on this page. It's everything that you need to run in less than 100 pages for a fantastic game with the simple mechanics that do everything that you will want it to do. And that's book one. Yeah. Now, there was a way off planet, this final stand. The, these people were beaten back to the bedrock, but they maintained their their tech base underground. They they have what is essentially a space shuttle, <laughs> which is now the dreadnought, heavily armored. They have all kinds of uh, flying cars and things like that. I mean, they're they're not they're not beaten back to like Terminator levels. They're <laughs> they're they're, they're, they're they still have manufacturing capability. And that becomes very important when we get into book two. Speaking of which, what do you say we take a break and turn this into a two-parter? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Right. So that was the mechanoids. Um, I highly recommend that you pick this up if you have any interest in just the, the where, where Palladium came from, or if you want to see what a first-time game designer can do. Because this is a fabulous piece of work. And I imagine like most of us, y'all geeks thought one time, well, I can make a game. This is a high standard to hold yourself to and a great way to learn about what would make a really good first game. So I highly recommend you go to palladiumbooks.com and, and pick up a copy of this. It's it's full of the the history, his decision-making process, and just this this wonderful, wonderful first foray out of the gate of a, a very, very, very small game, which eventually became Palladium Books as we know it. And over the next episode, or however long this session goes, because <laughs> we're really invested in talking about this, I'm excited to talk about how we witnessed the evolution of that game system right here. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, stay tuned for what is apparently about to be part two of The Mechanoids.
You've been listening to The Glitter Boys, a Palladium Books fan podcast. Glitter Boys, Rifts, the Megaverse, and all other such topics are the property of Kevin Sambita and Palladium Books. Please buy all their stuff and help keep them in print and making more games. You can order directly at palladiumbooks.com, and their entire catalog is available digitally at DriveThruRPG as well. Our opening music is 8-Bit Bass and Lead by Furby Guy from freesound.org. This closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross, available at freemusicarchive.org. All sound effects used are self-made or acquired via Creative Commons Zero License. If you like what you have heard, find us on Twitter and Facebook as The Glitter Boys. That's B-O-I-S. And check us out online at breakfastpuppies.com slash glitterboys. And also join us on the Breakfast Puppies Network Discord at breakfastpuppies.com slash discord. And if you want to help us out, please spread the word and help us build a community. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time.